We are going to jump in today uh, into the second to last talk in this series, Life Verses. And so uh, just to give you a little preview for next week, Thad will be back. He's going to be talking and um, talking about his life verse. And so it's kind of like the culmination of everything that we've been talking about. And I'm sure there's going to be plenty of stories uh, from their trip to Indonesia. And um, oh, also, I should say the Millers made it back safely. I went and picked them up in Vancouver this week. So we're very excited they make it back to you. So didn't want to leave you hanging on that one. But um, that will be back next week. He's, I'm sure there'll be pictures and videos and just things that he'll share about um, the time that they all had as a team together, um, both with the Millers there and then uh, apart from them being there as well. And so uh, just come back next week to hear about that and to hear about what we're going to be talking about for, um, for Thad's life first. But the challenge to get everyone all on the same page, the challenge that we challenged everyone about like nine weeks ago for this series was for you to think about scripture and find a passage or a chunk of scripture that directly connects to your life. That you would say, you know what, this verse just connects with who I am. It connects, maybe it's a, a connects with a season that you've walked through and you say, you know what, you know, that's my life verse now. But to, to be able to do that. And so one of the things, the first challenge we said to do that and to do it well, you need to be connected to scripture on a daily basis. And so we challenged everyone over the course of the summer to be connected on a daily basis, to be jumping into scripture, whether you use a paper Bible at home that's on your bookshelf, or if you jump and use the YouVersion app or the Bible app on your phone. However you do it, jump into scripture on a daily basis and challenge yourself to make it a repetitive daily practice of being in God's word. And so then the second challenge is to, as you do that, find a life verse. Find a verse that connects with your life and that is something that you would say, you know, this directly connects with who I am. And finally, the third challenge was for you to memorize your life verse. Over the course of the summer or, you know, if you, you know, you're just here and you're just learning about this, maybe you'll commit to memorizing over the next week or the next month or however long it takes for the verse that you chose. And so just to make scripture more a part of our daily lives so that we're never far away from scripture and hearing God's promises. We're never more than 24 hours away from hearing the promises that we can find in scripture about how we can live our lives and how we can be comforted in our times of worry or pain and, and how we can, even when we choose to memorize it, we're never far away because we can, in the minute that something happens, say, you know what, this verse comes to mind because I have it written down in my heart. So those are the reasons for those challenges. And so, like I said, today's the second to last uh, the talk that we're going to be talking about. And today we're going to be jumping into a verse that uh, was probably a life verse for the Jewish people that Jesus was communicating to. And that, in fact, I would, I know it is a life verse because they had to recite it in the morning and in the evenings. And so Jesus is asked about this. And so we'll jump into that in a second. But the verse that we're first going to read comes from Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. And so this is from the Old Testament and it's the fifth book in the Bible. And so to give you some context about this, you have the first five books of the Bible that are super important for the Jewish culture and for the Jewish people. And so you have Genesis, with Genesis, which allowed, um, sorry, my voice is a little bit hoarse today. It's because I was given the referee at the Sounders match yesterday, a piece of my mind. And so now I'm like really regretting it today because I feel like I'm pushing out every single word. But uh, Genesis, uh, 
in the first book of the Bible, it allowed Israel to look back on their history. So that's kind of like the general purpose. And of course, I'm completely summarizing these really quickly. Then the next book, you have Exodus, which showed um, the people where God had brought them from, that God brought them out of slavery in Egypt. And so then the next book, Leviticus, it continues um, with the ending of Exodus, but it explains how the people of Israel would have access to God and how they could fulfill the commitment that God chose to make with Israel and the requirements of that agreement and how they would, as a people, choose to live up to those things. And then the fourth book, you have Numbers, which provides instruction for the people as they're getting to read, as they're getting ready to enter the land that God had promised them. And so they're getting ready to like conquest a land. And so th- as you read that, you learn about that. And then finally in Deuteronomy, it's actually this kind of rehashing of this covenant that God wanted to have with the people of Israel. And so he, uh, um, Moses, who is, you know, is the one who wrote all these things and, you know, all of these, he's like the one as the narrator of all these things. He's telling the people, he goes over the Ten Commandments again, and then he starts to hash out this covenant and just to explain it. And so we're going to read um, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, and, and just listen to what this says, because it's super important for what we're going to dive into, even about Jesus. It says this, listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must have the Lord your God, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to be, when you're going to bed, and when you are getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And so these verses are a challenge for the people of Israel to have a laser sharp focus on who God is and what God means to them, especially at this time in history that they're going through. And so their love has to be so focused on God as the one and only God that, that that's their focus that has to be. And that's what Moses is getting at here. The focus is that God is unique and that God is exclusive. There's no other gods that the people of Israel should be following. There's no other like beliefs that they should be following. God alone is their God and they're going to choose to love him. And so these verses are what's called the Shema. And so it's actually a Jewish culture where you read that first um, hero Israel, the Lord God, the Lord is one. They read that and they recite that in the morning and the evening. And then they read a number of other passages from Deuteronomy and the Numbers. And it's, so it's just this like centering prayer that they go through each morning and each evening to remember who God is. And so throughout history, this has been happening. And so in this series, when we've been talking about how our lives connect to Scripture, I think it's really um, enlightening and important for us to unpack this a little bit about what Jesus is going to say next when we, um, when we talk about a Scripture where he addresses the, the, these verses as well. And so when we're thinking about being in Scripture on a daily basis and having just continual reminders about being in God's presence, it's so vitally important that we choose to have that laser-sharp focus of God's love that we're able to connect with it on a daily basis so that we're never too far away from his presence. And so today, the big idea is that this simply this, the way we love matters. 
And what I mean by that is that the way that we choose to take this love that God has for us and express it to other people truly matters. It actually shows us how much we love God the way we love others. And so the people of Israel were commanded to love God with all their heart, all their soul, all their strength, because God had first loved them. This all-consuming love will come from their understanding of the all-consuming love that God has for them. You think about it, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, that's like everything of who you are. And the reason they can have that for, for God is because God first loved them. And so as we jump to Jesus and as we begin to see how he taught about this, we need to think and understand how he connects his teaching to the common Jewish thought of that time. And what we're going to be read about in Mark chapter 12 is it's just after a time where Jesus is being quizzed by the, they're called Sadducees. Basically, there are all these religious leaders who are trying to trap Jesus with these, pepper, peppering him with questions, just asking him these things so that they can trap him so that maybe he might say something that's controversial. Maybe they, he might even say something to where they could attack him and begin to criticize him and begin to demean him for the things that he's saying. And so they ask ask him hypothetical questions so that they can try and stump him. But what's happening is Jesus is coming back to them with like just spot on teaching, of course, because he's the son of God and he's answering their questions in the perfect way that hits it right on the head so that they're convicted of it and they feel like they just feel the weight of Jesus's answers. And so when we jump into Mark 12, 28 through 34, that's the setting that this is. And so let's read that together and says this, one of the teachers of religious law was standing there listening to the bait. He's sitting there listening to all these questions that are being going back and forth between Jesus and these religious leaders. And so he realized that Jesus had answered well. So he asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? And so as you're reading this, it's important to think about what kind of question this is. Is this a trap for Jesus or is this a genuine question that the person wants to know? And so we'll figure that out as we read through the story. Jesus replied, though, he said, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind and all your strength. And so this answer that Jesus gives them would have been a very pleasing answer because they recite that verse every morning and every night. They would have agreed with what he's saying. And so they've been taught this since the time that they're very young. And so when Jesus' answer is this, it's like, yes, finally, Jesus is saying something that we agree with. And, and so then, but this is where Jesus goes on. And this is where like the, the tension begins to rise. It says, the second is equally important. This is Jesus continuing on. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. And so this is where we begin to find out the intentions of the person who is asking Jesus this question. And the teacher of religious law replied, well said, teacher. You have spoken the truth by saying that there's only one God and, and no other. And I know it is important to love him with all my heart and all my soul and understanding and all my strength and to love my neighbor as myself. This is more important than to offer all of the burnt offerings and sacrifices required in the law. Realizing how much the man understood, Jesus said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. 
And so you have to put yourself in the shoes of the Jewish people at the time that Jesus is teaching. They've been taught this way of life. They've been taught um, the whole Old Testament that we read. They know those things almost by memory and by heart. So then when Jesus comes to the scene, he's beginning to challenge them. And so they hear this answer that Jesus says, and then he begins to connect this love for neighbor to what it means to love God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul and all your strength. And so Jesus is often met with different uh, reactions when Jesus is teaching. There's, there's reactions of dis- disgust or disdain where Jesus teaches and they get mad at him. There's reactions of intrigue and wonder. And I think that's what we find here from this religious leader. He, he genuinely wants to know what Jesus thinks. Other times you get reactions of anger and violence where people literally pick up stones and want to start beginning to stone Jesus because of what he's saying. Other times, especially from the disciples, you get reactions of love and commitment of people choosing to follow Jesus. And so when Jesus is asked what the greatest commandment is and his response is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, everyone's probably relieved. But then Jesus connects the love of God to the love of a neighbor. So which they also know because that's a verse from Leviticus. So that's not a new concept. But one of Jesus's core teachings is that he connects this love of God with the love of neighbor. And so that launches us into our first thought. And that's the way we love others is the way we love God. And so I want you to think about that. I want you to process that for a little bit. The way we love others is the way we actually love God. And so ask yourself this, how do we choose to love God on a a regular basis? We might think of things like coming to church, having times of worship, whether it's here at church or maybe in your car or in your room as you're listening to music, you're just lifting up praise to God. Hopefully you think about praying and you're just speaking and communicating to God. We think about other things as like opening up scripture and we say, you know, that's a way that I choose to love God by getting to know him more, by opening up his word. We might think that when we give an offering, it's one way of choosing to love God because we're, we're meeting the needs of the church. Another one might be you choose to fast for a time. You choose to do all these spiritual disciplines. We might think of communion or baptism as these things that just show show our love for God and how we choose to love him. And so what we might not realize though when we go through that list of things is that many of those things really focus on ourselves. They focus on who we are and our relationship with God. But what Jesus I think wants us to understand is we actually need to begin to think out. We need to think with our arrows pointed out and begin to realize that God has love for everyone. And so how do we love other people? Think about those things. And the list could be so exhausted and go on and on. But think about how you love anyone in your life. In marriage, we choose to love our spouse by committing to each other. In friendship, we love each other by sharing our lives together and just knowing what's going on. In parenthood, we choose to love our kids by protecting, providing, and nurturing them throughout their life. In our workplaces, we love our coworkers maybe just by showing up and doing the job and being part of the team. And so we have these two separate ideas. We have this love of God and we have this love for people, this love for neighbors. What we hear from Jesus though is that the ideas are not separate. They're actually connected. And so the greatest commandment is to love God, but the second 
is to love your neighbor as you would love yourself. And so think about that. If you were in charge of loving yourself, what are the things that you would do? You obviously are good at it. We meet our own needs. We make sure we're healthy. We, we uh, make decisions for ourselves financially so that we're in a steady place. And so then we begin to think about how do we love others as we might love ourselves, And we realize that we have to begin to look out. And so the response of the religious leader here and Jesus' response to him should reveal to us how to think and understand this. And let's go back to that. Because the, re the religious leader said, I know it is important to love God with all my heart and all my understanding and all my strength and to love my neighbor as myself. This is more important than to offer all the burnt offerings and sacrifices required in the law. And so the religious leader knew the, the religious practices. He knew about burnt offerings. He knew about the ceremonial laws he needed to keep up. But what he's saying is, if I keep all those and I'm just in like perfect harmony with God for those things, but I don't love someone else, then those things don't matter. And so what good would it be to love God and offer all the burnt offerings in the world but then you treat your neighbor like dirt. You can't say at the end of the day that you're in a right relationship with God because you opened your Bible and you chose to pray and you were really focused on God throughout the day, but then you think, well, I treated a coworker pretty much like dirt this today. And so, you know, but I'm good with God at least. It's like those things don't go together. Because the fact is, whatever we do to love God actually needs to propel us in the way that we choose to love other people. A lot of it's almost like practice. When you think about all the spiritual practices that we do, that's what they are. They're spiritual practices to help us grow closer to God for a purpose and a reason of loving other people. And so I was beginning to think about what this kind of looks like is, you know, the Seahawks are in their training camp right now. I got a picture so we can all get hyped up for Russell Wilson. And I'm not a Seahawks fan, but I hope this is good for you guys and you're feeling it and you're getting ready for the season. But um, I'm a Packers fan, so go Packers. I don't think they play each other this year, so there's no conflict. But uh, maybe the playoffs, but probably not because the Packers aren't going to be any good. But anyway... I was thinking about this today, and well, throughout the week, but these Seahawks, they're practicing for a purpose. They don't have to be perfect at practice, but they're trying to hone their craft of football. They're trying to do the drills. They're trying to make sure they're running their routes correctly so that in the game that they're perfect and they execute the game plan, that they execute the plan that the Pete Carroll has for them as they go throughout the game. And so what I was beginning to think of, it's kind of like this when we come to church. It's like, we're not perfect here. We're all worshiping God here, but we're not perfect. We're all come here and we can all know all the ways that we probably didn't love a neighbor in the last week. And so one of the things we can decide to do is do we get shameful about it and just think this whole religious thing is a bunch of, you know, just stuff we shouldn't really need to follow because who can follow that? Or do we think of it as a way that when I come into the presence of God, I'm going to just ask God for forgiveness. I'm going to know all the ways that I do it, but I want to get better. And I want to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to love people more during the game. And the game is really our lives. The way that we choose to love God in these practices that we do, whether it's opening up scripture, whether it's being in a time of worship or in a time of prayer, 
The reason we do those things is so that we can grow in love. And it propels us to go and love other people. And so I think this was actually hard for the people that Jesus is speaking to to understand. In other um, gospels that you read, especially in Luke, Jesus has this same conversation about the greatest commandment. And what does the person who's asking him the questions ask? He asks a question to justify himself. And he says, well, who is my neighbor? Because it's like, okay, Jesus, you're saying love your neighbor, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose to think that the neighbors are the easy ones to love. You know, we would all love to say that. And so he asks Jesus this question, well, who is my neighbor? And so Jesus is, goes through the story of the Good Samaritan. And what you find out is that who we're supposed to love, who the neighbor is in that story is actually the most hated people group for the Jewish people, the Samaritans. And so Jesus is just showing who, what true love means and what it means to love a neighbor. And when we're going out into our very lives, the reason that we choose to love God and to love other people is that we're even going to have to choose to love the people that might even hate us, that might even be hard to love. And so we're talking about everyone, your neighbors that are living in your neighborhood. They're your neighbors, your friends, your family, coworkers, the people that are just like closest to you in your blast radius, these are the neighbors that God wants you to love. And so I hope this isn't discouraging for you because we probably all in our head, wait, are you saying I have to love that person? Because it can happen from time to time where it becomes like, and especially like an enemy, we have to love the person that disagrees with us about this social political thing that we're talking about. Yes, we have to love those people. And so it's challenging and it's hard, but can I encourage you is that no one's perfect at it, but we all become greater and greater at it and better at it when we choose to lean into Christ and let his love come out from who we are. The next thought that we have today is that we love with Christ in us. And so what I want you to think about this thought is I want it to be a reality that encourages you but I also want it to be a responsibility that humbles you. It's a reality that encourages you that Christ is in us and that's how the way we love because sometimes we need the power of Jesus to love the hardest people. Sometimes we need the love of Christ inside of us when we're choosing to love people that we really disagree with. Sometimes we need the love of Christ inside of us to choose to forgive and love people that have hurt us. But the, the reverse is also true. It's a reality or it's a responsibility that should humble us. When we're loving our neighbor, we're not just doing it as ourselves, we're doing it with Jesus. And when people know that you're a follower of Jesus, when that people know you're a Christian and you don't love them, you begin to dishonor Jesus. They begin to think that's who Jesus is. You're telling me that you're a follower of Jesus, that you've chosen to live your life differently, yet you can't love this person over here. People see that and notice that and they begin to think that's who Jesus is. And so that's the, that's the responsibility you have. I want you to be encouraged by it, but I also want you to understand that it's a responsibility to have. A life verse that someone mentioned to us is actually my wife's life verse that she shared with me. It's Galatians 2.20 and it says this, my old self has been crucified with Christ 
It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so Danny, uh, when she was explaining it to me, she was telling me that in the summer between her eighth grade and freshman year in high school, she went to a camp and she just had a total moment with God over the course of that week to where God really was able to speak to her and encourage her in things that were happening in her life. And so she literally felt like that she had changed by the time that she came back home. And so what was cool is when she tells this, and even when she tells it kind of and talks about her life with her brothers, you, they actually attest to the difference that that summer had in her life, that she actually changed who she was because of the relationship that she had with Christ. And so that's what I want to encourage you with, is that if you've chosen to follow Jesus, there actually is a change that happens inside of your life that you begin to look at your circumstances differently, that you begin to be in communication and contact with other people in a different manner. Someone who you may have hated in the past now is someone who you get to love. And that doesn't mean it's easy in an instant or that it's easy in a moment, but that it's when we get to come and do these practices of prayer and of being in scripture, we're choosing to submit ourselves to God and say, God, work inside of me the way you want to work in me so I can go and love other people differently. With Christ in us, we become different. It's not just a spiritual truth that we know in our heart. It's a truth that can even have physical manifestations in our life. People should see the change in our lives because we've chosen to follow Jesus. So I, when you go back to that verse that Jesus is saying, remember, we're loving God with our mind, with our soul, with our heart, and with all of our strength. It's an all-consuming love that we need to have for God, and it changes who we are. Jesus gave of himself for us to have this opportunity. And it's in that same way that we choose to sacrifice and lay down our lives to love others as well. And so then when we jump into thought three, we, this is what I want you to think, is this, how, where are we taking this? And so thought three is we love where God is choosing to take us. We know and understand that when we love, we're loving with Christ in us, but we also need to understand that this is a life of love and it's a journey and God is with us every step of the way. And because we chose to make a decision to follow Jesus, maybe our route is gonna change. Maybe uh, we're actually gonna go somewhere that we never thought of before because of the way Jesus is now challenging us inside of our lives. We love where God is taking us. And so where is God taking you? I want you to think about that. Where, where are you going? What decisions do you have in the forefront? Earlier in this series, we talked about what it means to kind of follow God's plan and the future that he has for your life. And what it means to understand that God is working all things for the good of those who love him and that are called by him. And how that all works out, even when we're in times of struggle or we're in times of pain, how in the end we can know and trust in God, just like that verse in Galatians says, trust in God because we know Christ is in us and he's working in our lives and for our futures. So maybe it's an unexpected job transition that's coming up. Maybe it's an unexpected move to a new city. Maybe you've recently lost a friend or a friend has moved away or there's just this relationship that was there and it's not there anymore. 
Maybe it's a family crisis that you're going through. Whatever it is, whatever decision or whatever road or like uh, split in the road that you're facing, I want you to understand that God wants you to love through it, whatever direction you take. And we submit to God in these things because it's important that we trust him in every season. Another life verse someone quoted totally hits up with this. It's Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. It says that, says this, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. I love that. He will show you which path to take. It reminds me of last week when we were talking about Psalm 23, and that we're talking about God leading us in paths of righteousness. And other weeks where we talked about how God steadies us as we walk, walk along, even when we're going through trial. And so that person who um, gave us this life verse, they said that this verse is fairly new to me, maybe for the last three or four years, when we were making a decision to retire and sell what we thought was our forever home and move up here to Bonnie Lake, I found comfort in these words. I even have it engraved on the mug I use every day, so it's there for me all the time. And so what better way for us to think about that is to realize that every decision that we have should be submitted to God. When we're choosing to go through our life, when we're choosing to be in that moment with our coworkers, when we're deciding, you know, should I love this person? What should I do? How should I love this person? It's important that we submit these things to God out of the relationship, out of the love that we have for him so that we know what to do so that we know we're taking the right path because we're not far from God, because we know how he's speaking to us and encouraging us in every situation that we have. And so what I love to think about also is that God is taking you in places that you would have never thought or imagined. I've recently been reading um, just a few different books about um, Christians who've started nonprofits, and one of them was Charity Water, and I read about his biography. And it's just so encouraging to see how a small little dream turns into something way bigger that's bringing clean water to millions of people out of just a simple change in someone's heart to choose to follow Jesus. Out of a simple change for someone to begin to actually understand that a love for God has to connect with a love for people in a tangible way. And so to conclude our time on this topic, I want us to jump back to Jesus' reaction to the religious leader who asked him the question. And remember his response? He, he said that you are not far from the kingdom of God. And so as, you're, as I was studying this, one commentary wrote this, and I just wanted to re read, read it to you because it, it was really encouraging for me. It said, by saying that he was not far, Jesus encouraged him to go the remainder of the way by wholeheartedly following Jesus. Whether he did so cannot be known because we, we don't have that, the end of that story. But every reader of Mark hopes so. And I think that's our hope today. Is that I think some of us are just in this place where we've, we've, we're starting to understand the love of God, but maybe we haven't connected it to the love of people. Or maybe... We have this love for people and we want to help people who are in need, but we've never made the connection to a love for God. And actually, if you look at the, the struggles that our culture is going through right now, I think this is like why the church has a PR crisis. 
Because the church constantly is telling us, telling people how much we love God, how much we love God, and we do all these things to love God, and we're going to love God. But then when they don't see it in a love for people, there's confusion. There's wonder. There's like, why is this happening? And so the only way to change that is if we individually take up a mantle and say, you know what, I'm going to connect this love of God to a love for people. I'm going to show people with the power of Christ in me and the responsibility of Christ in me to show love for people and help them in whatever crisis or trial that might be going on in their lives. And so I just put myself in the shoes of this religious leader and I imagine Jesus saying, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And I don't think this is Jesus coming down on him saying, you're not doing right. I think this is Jesus encouraging him and saying, you are close, keep going keep moving, go farther. And so today, our action point today is simply that we would love God and, our, and your neighbor wholeheartedly. Love God, love your neighbor with your whole heart. Think about the challenge that Jesus is talking about. The greatest commandment Jesus said is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Let's choose to do that today. To actually find the places in our lives where we might be holding our love for God and saying, you know what, I'm not ready to give that to God. Can I encourage you? Give that to God. Love God with your whole heart. But then remember Jesus' second challenge, to love your neighbor as yourself. It's not just that we don't hate our neighbor. It's not just that we choose to be kind to them, but we choose to love our neighbor in the same way that we love God with our whole heart, our whole mind, and our, all of our strength. May we begin to see how we can love our neighbor in that same way with all of our heart, all of our mind, and all of our strength. How might God be wanting to reveal a new way for you to love someone else today? And so I'm gonna to pray today that each of us here would come to understand what it means to love Jesus in that way. For us to understand what it means to give our whole lives to Him. And the song that we're gonna sing in response today is one we just sang earlier, it's Build My Life. And there's in the bridge, it just says, build my life upon your love. How can we do that? How can we launch out of the love that God has for us to not only love Him, but also to love other people? May we begin to just think about how we can show that love to other people that are around us. Let's build our whole life upon this love we have for God so that others too may know it as well. So I'm gonna pray today. I'm gonna just pray over you that you would come to know that in your life. God, we just thank you for this time today. We thank you for the challenge of scripture where you reveal just this greatest commandment and the connection to how we love our neighbors. And I pray, Lord, that we would be challenged. I pray, Lord, that we would see the times we open up scripture and the times we're here at Open Life and the times that we're worshiping and the times that we're doing any spiritual practice that brings us closer to you. I pray that we would see it as ways that we're practicing and preparing to love others in a better and a deeper way. So God, as we worship and as we do one of those practices, as we sit and pray or lift up our hands, 
God, I pray, Lord, that we would just begin to see it as muscle memory for the way that we're gonna lift other people's up this week. How the way we're gonna love a coworker that we might not get along with. How we might care for a neighbor who's hurting or struggling and they really need to know the love of Christ, God. Reveal those ways to us. Let us see the connections and may we choose to walk out and live that out in the way we live our lives. We ask this in your name.